How are you doing? Most importantly, how is spring break for you? When I was in grad school in Massachusetts, the week of spring break always seemed distinguished by a fresh snowstorm, an irony not lost on this southerner. But this year, like many years here in South Carolina, the warming and tumult of the spring season has definitely begun. So what about the break part of spring break? For our students, this can be a welcome chance to have a week of life without classes on top of all their other demands. For professors, the classes may not be meeting, but the work is no less. There's a whole conversation going on right now about how radical the idea of taking one's rest can be in a culture that emphasizes work, earning, and hustle. How do you perceive taking a break in your professional life? Life in higher education can mean very messy boundaries. Because our work runs the gamut from concrete teaching and paper project grading to lots of intangible thinking through and planning, it's easy for work to bleed into most waking hours. Are you thinking about or having conversations with peers about how to find time for yourself away from work? What space does rest from work have in the pattern of your life? Welcome back to our ongoing exploration of the ecosystem of our teaching community at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. My name is Claire Houle, and I'm a writer and instructional designer at MTC's Center for Teaching Excellence. I'll be offering you connection with our teaching community and our seasonal lives as we live the academic year together. What do you teach? How do you teach it? How could we learn from each other? This is Instructional Ecology. Thinking about rest in the midst of the stress of the life of a teeming community college is important. And today's guest thinks a lot about the importance of acknowledging stress in our lives as a teaching subject and a real-life phenomenon. Drew Casper is a member of the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. He's a clinical psychologist who shifted his focus from a counseling private practice to teaching psychology in the community. Introduction to Psychology is an in-demand course at MTC, and Drew approaches it in a metacognitive frame of mind. He's teaching psychology, and he's opening the door for students to find new insights in themselves and others. Talking to a psychologist is, once again, a new perspective for us in our ecological exploration. You'll hear Drew quickly and casually refer to a major philosophical and psychological underpinning to his teaching, the I and Thou relationship. Drew's teaching is informed by his training as a counselor. The I and Thou relationship is based on mutual acknowledgement of complex human identity. He meets his students as an instructor, but retains the ethical stance that he and his students are all complex individuals who all deserve respect and a recognition of their faults and strengths alike. Instructor and students find their way through each semester together. Let's spend some time with psychology. My name is Drew Casper. Uh, I teach uh, psychology in the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences, and I've been teaching here at Midlands Tech since 2015, so about six years, full-time, a little over six years. But I've been teaching in general off and on uh, as an adjunct and full-time in other locations you know, for approximately 10 years or so. Uh, I have also taught at South University uh, in Savannah, Georgia. I have taught at Remington College 
in Fort Worth, Texas, and also Tarrant County College in Fort Worth, Texas as well. I teach intro psych primarily, um, but here at Midlands Tech, I'm also teaching uh, social psychology starting in the spring. I also have taught developmental psychology uh, in past semesters, and I'm also teaching uh, College 105, which is our uh, freshman seminar class for SBS. Well, psychology is uh, in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences. So uh, basically they are sciences where they deal with people in different aspects, um, whether it be political systems, social systems, um, you know, psychological systems. We, I think we have more psychology full-time faculty than we have uh, most of the other disciplines. And that's one of the reasons why it's in high demand is that it's, it has that good applicability in whatever career you want to get into. So it doesn't matter what career it is, you have to deal with people. Thank you so much for, for spending time um, with us today. And I was curious, we have such a diverse group of instructors here in, in this college. And I would like to hear about how you left being a clinician and crossed over into teaching. What, what led you to that, that transition? My graduate degree is in clinical psychology. So um, I started in clinical psychology and started a PhD program in counseling psych, which is very similar, um, and always had the intention of being a clinician. I uh, started doing um, counseling, always enjoyed it, uh, understanding people, helping people. That's always really been my focus. So even from a being a younger kid, um, I could have told you when I was in middle school probably that I wanted to help people. I, I didn't know what it, what it would look like or what that meant, but I wanted to help people. And so clinically that made sense, you know, being able to do that. Uh, for me, the, the swap from being a clinician over to being a teacher uh, honestly became from practical experience and just sort of an accident. Um, so for me, I, I, I was teaching, I was counseling, but I was also teaching uh, to make ends meet as an adjunct at a couple of different, different universities and colleges. And my now wife, at the time girlfriend, uh, we dated long distance a couple of times. And when uh, one of the times that we were dating, she came to one of my classes. And at the end of it, uh, the students left and it was a typical class. And she asked me, you know, do you, do you enjoy teaching? And I was like, yes, I do. I, I, I very much do enjoy teaching and it's a lot of fun. And um, I love being with college students and engaging with them and, teach, and teaching them. And um, she immediately posed the follow-up question of, have you ever thought about that as a career? And that literally was the very first time that I had ever contemplated that as a career. And so from that point on, I have always, I knew I, I liked teaching. I just thought it was going to be something that I did on the side. But that became a little bit of a shift of focus. And so um, I started exploring full-time positions in addition to counseling positions in places that uh, I have lived and worked since then. And the teaching side of things has sort of taken off and I, I've really uh, leaned into that and it just I've not regretted it in the slightest. So it's been a lot of fun for me. Um, and kind of like I said, it, the, the, the initial things that got me going uh, were, were always there. So I find uh, for me the helping aspect uh, with students and um, being able to teach the subject that I teach, um, I, um, I find that to be very, very practical and it, it, I find myself to be helping in a lot of different ways uh, 
through the educational process versus the counseling process. What's an example of something that a student who's taking your course, which is, you know, access is psychology, but isn't counseling, isn't designed to focus on them in the same way that, you know, a clinical setting would. What's an example of something that they that can help them understand themselves better? Sure. Well, for uh, each semester uh, and in all of my classes, um, I teach a, I have a chapter on stress. So the stress chapter is not one that we typically include on a final exam. So we don't, we don't typically think about it as, as a major significant learning outcome. But for me, it, I, I have not, I don't think I've ever been through a semester where I haven't covered that as a topic. Um, for me, that is extremely vital for students to be able to understand where they are, like what their stress level is. And so an assignment that we do, we do it in class, and then that leads to a written sort of reflection, if you will, um, is a stress test. We take a life stress test, which is one where they kind of, if anything, any of the different list of events has happened in the last year or two years, uh, you know, and then there's numbers of how stressful the events are, the numbers add up, and if the numbers are really high, then it, the, the test will tell you that, you know, you are at a greater risk of becoming sick or ill in the near future. And for most students, the numbers are very, very high. Always have been. I don't really think I've ever had a class where there weren't a good number of students who were well over that threshold, and in some cases, well, well beyond the threshold. Um, and that assignment is one that helps students to be able to understand where they are. So, you, you, okay, your number, if anything is over 300 on the test, says you're at a higher risk of becoming ill, and you have a 750 score, well, your score is very, very high, and that means you're under an unusually high amount of stress. At least you have been over the last year or two, and that can lead to health outcomes. That can lead to you getting sick. Uh, that can lead to you uh, potentially having the onset of a mental illness, of depression or anxiety or panic attacks, or even just mental or physical issues like breaking down on hives or stress reactions. And so a lot of students will respond in the reflection and will say, this was very helpful. I really did not understand how stressed I was. I knew I had been going through some stuff, but I really did not understand how stressed out I was until I actually took the test and saw that number and the number sort of shocked me. So now I'm going to make sure that I am, one of the things they have to do in my assignment is to list out some things that they are gonna to do to reduce stress. So I'm going to make sleeping a more of a priority. I'm going to uh, build in some things into my day to be able to you know, uh, relax at the end of the day to reduce stress. Um, and we talk about some different strategies for that and the students very much find that helpful. Um, so that's just one little example of, uh, of an assignment that, you know, the, the helping aspect. It's not, it's not clinical, but it's something similar that I would do instead of teaching relaxation skills to a client who might have anxiety issues. Um, it's teaching the importance, what that does in the body. And I might do that in a clinical environment as well. I probably wouldn't go into as many details, but helping the students to understand that much the way the client would, or much the way that I would want to teach that to a client, um, is uh, is very important and so for me I, I find lessons like that also how the brain works how trauma works how addiction works uh, numerous different things like that it helps i find that helps students to understand things that they may be going through or what other people may be going through so uh, there's there's definitely some overlap in, in areas like that 
what an interesting set of data to ask students to, you know, sort of assess their own stress. Um, because, I mean, it's so interesting because, I mean, obviously the population is always the same in the sense that it's always students at Midland Central College, but, you know, our student body is so diverse. So many backgrounds, so many different purposes that they're coming through. Um, now, obviously, I would say, since we're recording in 2021, the last two years, of course, you know, so much stress, but you're saying this has been constant. Now, I'm not asking you to scientifically analyze your data, but why do you think that you have students that are consistently scoring so high? Is it, what's what's going on, do you think? I think it's a, a numerous issues, a, a, a plethora, if you will, of different types of topics. Um, I think large, in large part, students who are coming to us, whether they be um, the traditional format, so in your, your, your late teens, early 20s, um, they're discovering who they are. They don't know who they are. They're building uh, life patterns and behavioral patterns in, and it's a lot of transition. There's an awful lot of transition. Uh, so they are becoming an adult. They're starting work. They're having to pay bills. They're starting families. They're getting married. Uh, they're moving out on their own. They're, they're doing all these different things, and those life transitions for any college student is gonna be a challenge. For students who are more non-traditional, students who might be going through a career change, there's also changes that are happening. They are also going to have, maybe they're a little bit further down the road, if say they're hypothetically in their 30s, they may have small children, and this raising children is in of itself stressful, whether if you, if you have a job or not, that's a full-time job. So being able to balance and understand where your stress is versus the other topic. So, uh, and then some students just find themselves in those unusual circumstances, whether they be dealing with loss or their parents are going through a divorce or a family member has passed away or you know anything along those lines. Um, you know, I, I just college students are a I would say ripe environment for stress, just because there's so many different. The the, the nature of being in college is a nature of transition going to school to do something else, whether that be in a shorter term or longer term, you know, creating that new life for themselves. Um, I think it's just a population that lends itself towards higher levels of anxiety, given the nature of, of transition to school. That's a great insight. And another way of, I, I think we're often asking ourselves, you know, who are we teaching? You know, what do they need? What's, you know, um, and that's not something that I think I, I'd, been talking about recently, which is the nature of seeking higher education is to be in transition. Um, you know, we think a lot about, we talk about goals, but um, we might not actually think about what that feels like, you know, when you're seeking something and you're not so certain it's going to happen. Um, and so you've been in the classroom a while now. Um, and I'm curious, how have you changed your teaching persona or the way you do things in the classroom as you've gotten to know your job better, as you've gotten to know your students better? What's changed for you? For me, I think the I try to look at things more and more with a, um, a little bit more of a flexible eye. So I think the, the pandemic, if nothing else, hammered that home uh, for me, I think for most of a lot of instructors as well. Um, but I find myself in a position where um, I, I, I try to teach the way that I wanted to be taught. But I find myself being more flexible with students. I find myself being more open to um, making adjustments uh, mid-semester. 
I find myself uh, not locking myself into the, the way that things have to be um, and open, opening myself up to some new ideas and new procedures. So um, I have always done that and always really enjoyed that, um, you know, kind of having my particular way. But I, I really have built that in more and more, getting more comfortable with the material um, and pushing areas where I am comfortable. Um, so for example, for me, um, coming from being a, I was a history major as an undergraduate, um, and then going to grad school, it was all lecture pretty much. So I, you know, it was all lecture, you know, we did PowerPoints and we did things like that. And I learned just fine that way. Students do not learn as well that way compared to the way that I learned. So that was sort of the way it was doing more group activities and also allowing students more, um, flexibility to discover things on their own. Um, that has been a, a shift for me, uh, you know, the more flexibility, greater flexibility with things, giving a little bit more grace. Um, I, I, I used to be a little bit more stringent, for example, with, um, with due dates, you know, and now with running into so many different issues, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, um, when the everything swapped over from totally in person to totally virtual, um, students don't have access and you know looking at accessibility issues things that i really had not considered or thought about as much as being so fundamental so giving students extra time to complete assignments um you know extra time for makeups you know students may have transitioned so i'll have students that will you know email me like hey i'm i've i've got to go to a different state and reside in a different state for the next couple of weeks and where I'm going to li be living, I don't think we have great Wi-Fi, so I don't know if I'm going to make it to class or be able to log in to take exams. And so situations like that, having a lot more grace for students, um, that, that's a big transition for me, is, is being able to have more student engagement, building that in, uh, as, as well as the flexibility. Those are probably the two biggest ways that I've kind of viewed myself, you know, kind of changing over the course of time with that. I'm interested in what you said about uh, allowing students to make more discoveries on their own because I, I feel like the traditional model is we impart knowledge, right? You know, you're the one who dispenses it and they absorb it. Uh, what what does that look like for you, uh, allowing a student to, to discover knowledge on their own? So a lot of encouragement in class of personal examples. What you know, I, I provide maybe one or two, but then how can can you think can you think of an example of how this would apply? and opening the door for students, okay, how would this work? What's an example that you might think of this issue or this topic? Um, and really encouraging them to do that. So I've, I've definitely been doing more group activities in my classes, um, you know, allowing students to try to figure things out um, a little bit more. That, that for me is, is, it is a challenge. So for me, I, I very much have always, you know, as you mentioned, kind of presenting the information and being the expert. Um, not allowing them to find that, allowing them to, to, to discover, to uncover it. You mentioned that you check in at the midpoint in the semester and then perhaps make adjustments. What, what does that mean? Do you ask them in person? Do you give them a survey? What do you do? I have a survey that I use that I've built into D2L um, that I've also had uh, some uh, online polling aspects that I will use that, you know, you know, what, 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 it, what have you liked? What did you like? So, I mean, even for, for example, for today, um, you know, it, it, today was the last day of one of my classes. And so I used a, a Mentimeter survey. Um, and at the end of the 
presentation, you know, what did you like about the course? What 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 will you take away with you? And then also the next the next question, you know, what did you want to change? What did you not like? Did you find something to be, you know, just over the top or not there, but not very useful? Um, and so it's essentially those similar questions asked at the midterm point. So what have you liked? What what would you like to change? Um, and for the most part, I pretty typically get students not wanting to be doing as much lecture um, and they like of more activities. They like to be able to do different aspects. Um, and so I try to incorporate that as much as I can and that's also kind of uh, informed the progression that I've had of building in more activities and you know lecturing less and, and, and thinking about the material and applying it more. Um, that's definitely kind of that, that's that's usually what I use those surveys for. Um, and, it, and also to see if there's any big issues, if there's anything that's, that's happening that I might not know about that they may want to address. So if there's a problem with another student or if there's a problem with how I'm saying something or approaching a topic in a class, um, instead of just getting the end of the year reviews, which are, which are helpful, but you also can't make any adjustments, at least at one point checking in with them. And I, fi I find the midterms you know, pretty useful for that. And what that allows me to do is I can see that and then I can reach out to the class and say, okay, what can I be doing for you guys, you know, would you like us to talk about some different study strategies? How would you like, you know, you know, here are some different ways to approach the exams. Um, and you know, that's one thing I'll be doing for my flipped classes is doing more tutorials on how to do how to use some of the software that we're already using, so that they can study and prepare better. This makes me think about accountability, because okay, what you're describing is a very responsive and reactive kind of you know way of saying, okay, how are things going? How do I respond? How are things going? A very reflective sort of way of being. Um, and again, this is, this is sort of in contrast to a traditional model where the instructor is infallible and is, you know, use the word rigid and then, you know, much more structured and what have you. Um, what happens uh, if you make a mistake? Uh, which all of us do, of course, you know, maybe that we miss a deadline with grades or we, you know, say the wrong thing in class and they all get to correct us, which is, you know, a very, very exciting moment. How do you handle that when you make an error? I used to be afraid of them. I used to be afraid of, of making mistakes, and I, 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 I laugh at them a lot now. So for me, it, it is a, um, it's a teachable moment, and it's, it's a very a, a perfect opportunity to be real. Um, for me, I, I find myself wanting to be more and more real and authentic. It's very much how I would approach things in counseling environment. Um, I was trained very much with kind of a humanistic uh, gestalt sort of, you know, be here and the here and now, I and thou, you know, approach, you know, as, as a therapist, um, with the, some of the people that trained me were, were very heavy in that. Um, and just the being, the being real side of things, you know, I, I, I used to be real about certain things and now I'm, I'm, I'm just more relaxed having, with more experience having done it now for so many years, I find myself just wanting to be very real. So it, mistakes are wonderful. So when I make mistakes, I, we, I laugh about them, you know, I, I, I joke, I just try to be as real as I can. I forgot to, I played a video today on uh, a certain topic and I had the video embedded into my slides and everything was good and I played the video and everyone could hear it and I had not shared my screen. So they could hear it but they couldn't see it. And I played basically the whole video you know, jumping in there, making comments, you know, I even commented on how, what someone was wearing, making it, making a joke about, you know, a person in the video. Um, 
and, and nobody said anything. And I don't know why no one said anything. I've, I've, I've told them, it's like, hey, I, y'all, you know how forgetful I can be. Why did y'all not, you know, do that? And I laughed and they laughed and, you know, it, it was just a very real thing, you know, so um, it, those, those things, those things happen, you know, so, you know, you can't, you know, it's like, okay, we're not going to go watch the video again. Y'all can, you know, y'all can watch it on, you know, on your own time, you know, on your own time or whatever, but you, you at least heard it. And so, you know, the, the information's, you know, still very, very good. Um, so you just, you just try to incorporate that as much as you can. So I, and I actually am able to find myself now bringing in outside mistakes into the classroom a lot more. So I talk about mistakes that I make or issues that I've run into that are, um, in some cases, very personal. Um, and but but when it applies to the material, and it's a real world example of that, I I will incorporate those mistakes um, as teaching points. So for me, their 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 mistakes are wonderful opportunities. So thinking about reflection, I know that you're trying a new method that's very new to you, the flip classroom. I'm thinking maybe a reflection might be especially useful. What can you tell me about your plans for this flip class for the spring? Social psych is is, is all about how the the different different groups and different situations change your behavior and your thinking. And so I'm I'm brainstorming lots of ideas of creating experiential learning pieces for that class. And, you know, ma making things awkward. It's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. So I'm trying to do more of that. To me, that's another way of making the material more relevant, uh, making it real, and then, you know, just presenting to them in a kind of a different way. So trying to become more robust. I think like some good awkwardness, I always say, to, you know, really generate generate learning. Well, actually, I, I would love an example. Um, you know, cause, because, you know, when you change a class you've been teaching a long time, that talk about forcing yourself to think differently. I don't think that you're doing, making the decisions you make because you feel like it. You're doing it because you feel that they have benefit. I'd love for you to talk about what you gain as you, as an instructor, become more authentic. To use your words, more real. What does that What does that bring to your classroom and to your students? What's the benefit, or to you? Part of it is is relational. Part of it is wanting to build rapport and community. Um, which is, I think, fundamental for really for any type of teaching relationship. I mean, any, any type of relationship is going to be foundationally built upon some type of trust. So in my opinion, being real and authentic allows me to be approachable. So if I'm a mistake, if I'm if I'm someone who makes mistakes and laughs about it and it's not a big deal, if a student makes a mistake, they can approach me about it. So at least at least that's my hope. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to the any type of you know any type of classroom environment training anything that you do um, is uh, transactional so there's different things people get out of it um, and so for me I, I I I actually I stink at being fake I've never been very good at it um, you know so I, I I'm amazed with some people I can watch people on television and things like wow it's just amazing how people can do that I'm just not good at it um, and so uh, when I try to act perfect, I drop, it makes me nervous and I, I mess things up. I'm interested in the kind of classroom community that you're trying to build because I hear a lot of back and forth. You know, you behave authentically as yourself and then they in turn are allowed to say and do what they need from you. Um, 
tell me about the classroom community you build together and how you find, it sounds to me like you find your way together to the way that you want things to be. Yeah, I, I it, it's the community itself is just sort of set up at the beginning. So um, we try to make it very, you know, right from the get go, you know, talking about the class, you know, our first, you know, my first week is we don't, we don't do any material. It's all, you know, introductions and course expectations and looking at, you know, details and trying to just hammer out as much of the, the upfront stuff as possible. Um, you know, but it's also letting them know it's like, okay, this is, I don't, you have nothing to do this first week because this is just you getting your books, you getting, finding your class, your classroom building is, navigating D2L, you know, you know, and, and just getting people eased in. And I let them know it's like, this is, I was like, I, I kind of wish, and I always hated the classes that started with a pop quiz. Or, you know, you walk in day one and, you know, here's the syllabus. Okay, we're going to dive into chapter one. It was always, you know, okay, let me ease into this a little bit more. Um, so the community that I try to build is just one that's supportive. Um, I also try to, I, I try to let students know how, what I'm trying to do to help them. Um, and, you know, it, it, it happens in the classroom and it's also outside of the classroom. So since the pandemic has started, I found myself uh, sending weekly emails to students in addition to updates or reminder emails. So I would usually, when there was a big assignment, so if there was a test due, for example, you know, at the beginning of the week, I would send an email to students, hey, don't forget, you've got your first test this week and you need to go ahead and be studying. If you have questions about it, let me know. Here's the study guide, you know, um, that type of thing. Whereas now I find myself weekly because students can get, so many students are working and they're going to class virtually or they're taking online classes. They have so many different obligations. Since I've been doing those over the last couple of semesters, I've had a lot of emails from students saying, thank you so much for doing that. It's so helpful that, you know, I will get to the end of the week and just have, or a crazy thing happens at the beginning of the week and, uh, you know, I, I won't even remember. And then I get that reminder email on Thursday or Friday and it's such, it, that, that reminds me, oh yes, I need to go ahead and take care of that. And it's, to me, it's, if I'm helping one or two students doing it, or you know, five minutes of my time being able to, to, to do that. So I, I think the community is just, it's, it's mutually beneficial. You know, I, I try to let them know, hey, the more you talk and the more you get engaged, the, best, the, the smoother this goes. This is... I hear you doing a lot of connecting with them, um, at making yourself available and present. I'm wondering how also uh, you maintain your boundaries um, and, and how you attend to, um, to that aspect of things, how do you keep a balance? Um, you may not want to present yourself as an authoritarian, but also you are the person who's marking papers. Uh, you're the person who's setting the expectations and who's deciding on grades. Tell me about boundary keeping for you and how you balance that with this relational connection that you create. Uh, it's for me, I, I that's also established upfront um, from, a, from a counseling standpoint, that the, the having having good boundaries is always a uh, a, a fundamental piece. So uh, I, that that's been a clear cut expectation with uh, in counseling, and I, I just I, I very naturally I think carry that over um, into my work with with students in education. So uh, at the very beginning, I will let them know uh, you know I'm available you know at these times, and you have office hours and emails. Students typically respect boundaries fairly well. I don't have too many issues. There's always students that are you know, that push boundaries anyway. That's you're going to find that in any setting. 
see you often making gestures of presence in your class. You know, you are very clear about who you are in certain ways uh, that are relevant to the course. Um, and one way in which that's really interesting is um, disclosure of diagnoses. Um, we have a, you know, a good number of students, as all uh, higher ed institutions do, who, who may require accommodations because of various diagnoses, could be medical, psychological, what have you. Um, and I think that's always a really great thing for us to talk about as a community is, you know, how are we serving people who come to us and say, you know, here's what's going on, here are the things that I need in order to, to show my quality. Um, and I know that you uh, often open that space by stepping into it yourself. Could you talk a little bit about how you make yourself visible and then in turn how do you respond when students come to you saying oh, I have the difference and I and these are the things that um, are useful to me? Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely so uh, a part of the class as part of any class is letting students know about um, you know disabilities and so in the very first week uh, you know typically what day two so day one is usually mostly introductions. Um, you know, day one, day two, we get into, uh, we talk about disabilities. And so um, if a student requires any accommodations, that, you know, that's gotta be mandated. So um, for me, I, at being someone with, dis with, a, with a disability, so I do, I have attention deficit disorder and I've been diagnosed with ADHD since, gosh, I was, I think, six years old. So I've taken medication a good portion of my life. Um, and I've had to learn to cope with that, being someone who's distractible and, um, you know, gets off topic, like, you know, at, at kind of what I was joking with my students about earlier today, you know, it was like, I forgot to hit the button to share the screen. And so I've, I'm watching a video and no one else is watching it. Um, you know, so uh, I present that at the very beginning and let them know that, you know, even that I myself got a combination. So I, since I had a diagnosis, I, throughout high school, throughout college, even throughout grad school, um, you know, I had my little accommodations note and I gave my little letter to the professor and because of that I got extra time on exams and uh, usually like a time and a half which is a pretty standard um, uh, accommodation. And so I, I also let my students know that I didn't use it very often. So it wasn't needed necessarily. I got these accommodations and I ended up using it, goodness, a dozen times, you know, throughout, you know, my many years of college and grad school, you know, I, I didn't need it very often, but I let them know I had that extra time. And because I had the extra time, I was more relaxed. I knew I wasn't going to be pressed for time and because I had plenty. And I almost never, I don't, I don't think I ever ran out of time on an exam. And because I had those accommodations, I was more relaxed. I was able to be more successful. I was, you know, I, I didn't get nervous during the exam. And I also let them know that there's a lot of issues that they may be experiencing whether that's a PTSD diagnosis for you know, our, our students who might be veterans, um, whether that's someone who has severe test anxiety. Test anxiety is an issue. Test anxiety is in a, it's something that they can get accommodations for. And I, there's, I, I always have three or four students in every single class that have really bad test anxiety, and they'll let me know up front. They'll be like, oh, I'm so, you know, I can see them asking questions about exams. And so letting them know, test anxiety. If you have a documented learning disability like dyslexia, um, you know, PTSD, if you have depression, if you have, there are so many different types of issues that you can get accommodations for, you know, so, and I encourage them and I provide the information and I, I, I kind of make a little stump speech about it and I say, you know, it's, it's like your parents always used to say, you bet it's better to have it and not need it then, and, you know, they 
need it and not have it. And so just trying to make make it make things relatable that you know I'm not someone who's going to be judgmental about a disability because I have one. Um, you know I would hope that most people wouldn't be anyway, but you know I'm. I'm someone that they can come talk to about that if they have one of those issues. So hopefully that makes me approachable in the sense of they can come talk to me about it. But in addition to that, that they can, um, that it, it, they don't need to be ashamed of it because I, I'm not ashamed of it. It's just a part of me. It's a part of who I am. Be no different than you know, you know, I had a, a different diagnosis. And I also provide some examples for students. So I had a student. I think my very first semester here that. They came in on the second day of class and was like, yeah, I just got a cancer diagnosis, so I'm going to be, you know, maybe I may, you know, I've got chemo treatments sometimes before class, so I may have to go, you know, go, go to the bathroom and throw up because I'm having chemo. And I'm, I, 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 the very first thing I said is like, have you spoken to the combination, this Billy's office about this, about combinations? And they were like, no, why would I do that? I'm like, why would you do that? You're talking about going in and getting poison injected into your body before class. Like, you know, so this is, you know, we, you know, pre, I wouldn't be at, still had attendance issues. And so flex, you know, so that student went and got, took care of that and they got, you know, flexibility and attendance so that they, you know, and they missed a lot more class because they were sick uh, and rightfully so, but they, they passed the class. So they, 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 they passed the course and they probably wouldn't have been able to do so had they not had the accommodations, you know, for, for being able to do that. So I, I, I try to be, I, I try to make that something that is upfront because it's obviously something that's impacted me, but it's also something I know impacts a lot of different students. You know, that makes me think about is uh, what instructors are witness to. Um, it may be that we see things that uh, other people in professional settings don't see uh, because students, you know, especially when they, you know, have formed um, a trusting relationship with us will say, listen, this is, something is happening. Um, and I just wonder, where do you, what do you do with that, with all of the, the witnessing that you do when I ask you, what, what do you think about all of the, the lives that, that, you know, pass through your classroom? How do you, how do you summarize those, or, or how do you think about them? There are always students that are dealing with different significant issues, whether it be, um, you know, parents going through a divorce or a transition in life. I, I had a student where they, you know, their house burned down, you know, during, you know, in, in this semester and, you know, you're having to work with them. Um, you have, you know, had a student this semester who um, had to move to a different state and they were in that state and they were having different issues and they were one of my more engaged students in, in class. and. All of a sudden, they were they were gone a lot because they didn't they couldn't get internet access. Um, so uh, there, there's just there's there's numerous numerous different types of um, things that happen, and I think for for me uh, that falls under you, you know we we are in that spot as anyone could be, but because we have so many students and we deal with so many different students, you know we will routinely. So if I'm teaching five classes a semester, you know that's 150 students. And so that's 150 students that I'm seeing on a regular basis that I should at least have some type of connection with, whether it be even if it is just a, a very formal, you know, teaching aspect. Um, and so I can be someone that people can reach out to for help. And that's something that I, I try to be. So I try to be 
don't want to say lifeline, but you know, it's someone who they, they can reach out to. And so we've got services here at Midlands um, and there's services in the community, whether it be someone dealing with you know, a traumatic event and so they need, maybe they need counseling or um, sexual assault or who, who knows what. Um, you know, being able to help students to know where they are, to meet them where they are. You know, our job is to meet, meet people where they are in terms of an educational component. Well, the, part of that also is included in where they are in life. So if they're dealing with a, a personal traumatic issue or different things like that. Um, had another student that this semester that uh, was dealing with some serious depression aspects and they were they hospitalized themselves. They, they, they got hospitalized because they were, they were, they thought they might engage in some self-harm. And then after they got out of the hospital, their significant other broke up with them. And they just got pounded one after another and they, they continued to come to class and then at the end of the semester they you know or I think last week they they dropped my course um, and I reached out to them and let them know after I got the withdrawal email they had missed the class the week before um, and you know they but they had been in a very engaged student again towards the beginning and then things happened and you know it, it could be a, things were challenges obviously and then they were in just a different setting and then letting them know it's like there's no there's no there's no weakness in that. Trying to be someone that they can at least reach out to for help and then being able to direct them accordingly is a part of that. And, and I, I've, I've realized that I've got more, I guess, comfort dealing with those issues from a counseling background, but I think we need to be able to be that person. You know, to, I think we can be a person for them to at least let know about and then we can refer and then we can you know, get help, you know, if we have counseling here, you know, um, or in the community or whatever it might look like. You know, I, to me, it's very important to be able to try to, um, you know, be, keep track of students and, you know, what, what's going on with them. I feel like our boundaries are very porous. You know, uh, you know, students, you know, it's not residential. Students are constantly coming and going, coming and going physically. But also, um, oftentimes, they just need us for a few years and then they move on to the next thing. Um, so I often ask uh, how, what you teach or how you teach, how that flows into the community. You just told me that part of it is you are present for them in, as their lives unfold in addition to their learning um, so that they can learn. But um, you might answer it another way, which is as you think about what you teach or how you teach it, how do you imagine that that is entering, going into the community through your students and, and, and how that might benefit the community? Well, I, I think just teaching psychology, you know, I, 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 any, any professor, I think, in any topic would, would have those, those aspects and see those special connections and parts of how it relates. Um, but I've had, I've had students that will come talk to me and we'll have a difficult discussion about a topic in a class, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, how it relates, you know, with 2020, with the the election cycle that happened and all the craziness that was going on with the pandemic and different topics, you know, being able to discuss that. Um, and I think that that lends itself to be able to be something that can be useful for the community. So, for example, just as an example of an assignment that I have, um, you know, this semester I started, I did a new assignment where um, uh, it's about vaccines. And so vaccines being so controversial a topic, it's very relevant and of course everyone is hearing about it and hearing different things here and there um, 
and so what I had students do is uh, I, I randomly assigned them to a uh, to answer a question are vaccines safe yes or no and they didn't get to pick they got randomly assigned and they had to basically defend something maybe that they had heard so whether they agreed with it or not you know they had to if the answer was yes I think vaccine safe okay why do you what have you heard where does that information you know like who said it and where's the foundational basis for that and it encouraged them to think about their thinking about that particular topic and it relates to psychology because it being a scientific field you know we don't make guesses about pseudopsychology oh the stars align your your horoscope today says this well we don't we don't go that's pseudopsychology okay we don't we don't get into that okay we get it we deal with factual evidence-based components whether it be treatment-based or whatever um and medical the medical field should be something similar to that you know as a science and so um i had student a couple of students that got back to me after we did that assignment that were assigned to the opposite viewpoint that they had so they had they got assigned to the i, I can't remember what it was yes or no or whatever but they, it, they said it was very interesting to think through some uh, in the background of some of the claims that people on the other side make so i don't agree with that but i sort of investigated a claim that they would make and it was interesting walking through where people get their information and what is the basis for that um and that's an encourage that's an, an aspect of teaching psychology and some of the other different topics was you know is is you know to a certain extent metacognition but also you know understanding where how do you form these beliefs how do you form these opinions you know and where do you get your information not, not all information is equal too okay so some person on the street saying something or a cousin or an uncle versus an expert in the field is 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 different um and so you know topics like that and i've had students come back to me and say it was very interesting hearing this and then whatever it, it kind of changed my perspective on how people people who view things differently than i do think because now i got a chance to think a little bit more about how they think about it so it, it wasn't like a you know oh it changed my opinion but it was it was a good ex the comment they made it was a good experience to think differently about something that you know that I have an, an, an opinion on um, and so I think that translates over that translates over to um, you know uh, to the community helping the community in that aspect helping people to understand okay what's you know if someone has a brain injury what does that look like um, if someone has uh, you know a, a stroke or you know an injury from a um, an in, you know from a veteran experience uh, you know a traumatic brain injuries we get students with those or PTSD what does that look like you know and, and that also to me is helpful in the community so that you have a little bit more empathy and you understand it um, and I, that's one of the things that I explain to my students is that you know you you, you don't understand what you fear you, what you don't understand and you and you know it's like a you know like an old horror movie adage you know but but you also can't it's harder to empathize with things that you don't understand empathy for other people whose opinions may differ than yours or who have experienced different types of things that you haven't experienced. And so to me, that translates over to the community as well. Well, what about your own community um, here as, as, a, as an instructor at MTC? Um, you know, I think about um, the college as sort of an ecosystem. You know, all of us are related. We may not always interact, but we are working together and we're part of this complex um, system that you know 
does a lot in common, even as we do our very distinctive pieces of it. Um, how do you perceive the ecology of, of teaching here at, at MTC? Where are you in it? How, how do you connect to it? Being, being in the social and behavioral sciences school and department, I guess it's kind of, they're both the same. Um, the, I, I deeply enjoy the people that I work with. So for me, um, it, is, it is very enjoyable to meet people from other disciplines and to see people in our department. And what's encouraging to me is the ecosystem is very much focused on students. And it, it's, it's very much focused on students and student growth and student success. And that I find that to be pretty standard across the board. Everybody that I know, including the adjuncts and that, that work in psychology, you know, are, they do a great job. You know, and and I are they're very dedicated. So for me, I I, I see us all working together. Um, you know, I, I I think you can very easily get into like, a, oh, I can just I'm gonna kind of stay in my lane, and you know, I don't necessarily need to know people who work in this area or work in that area. Um, but the more people I encounter and work with, um, the more impressed I am because they they care about the students just as much as I do. Um, and they they want to help them be successful. You know the, our, the you know Theresa Hubbard. You know our our student ombudsman. You know I've I've got her contact information. So when students email me and let me know like hey I'm dealing with this crisis issue or whatever, it's like whoop, cut and paste and got my little screenshot that I've saved and I email them like hey reach out to reach out to you know, the ombudsman. She'll be able to work with you. You know on this issue and usually like within a day or two if if, if they're being pro, if they're being proactive enough to reach out to me. They'll reach out real quickly and then you know they kind of get the ball rolling or accommodations you know you send you know disability services and stuff so I, I find working here is very enjoyable because everyone really does everyone really cares I find students aren't aware of how much support is actually here and so I you know as much as I can tie them into areas of support I try to do that as much as I can but for me I I love working here so I, I love working here and the people that I work with are, are fantastic and the people that I have consistent contact with here in my department are, are, are wonderful. They're, I'm, I'm always impressed with um, ways that people are approaching things and projects and assignments and um, you know, the hard work that I know and I see that they're doing. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So, so in, in terms of that, I, I think the support aspect is, is pretty standard across the college. I hope you'll have a look at the website for this episode. It's a mixture of philosophy and concrete teaching resources based on Drew's interview today. Here at the boundary of winter and spring, at the break between the two seasons, things can get stressful for the entire community. Perhaps you'll learn a bit about Martin Buber, the author of The Eye and Thou Philosophy. You can explore a video or a short essay on him and his ideas if you're in the mood to watch or read. Perhaps you'll take the stress assessment Drew gives to his students or give it to your students if you see the value of it in your classes. Perhaps you'll have a look at some resources that helped Drew develop the flipped class that he's teaching this very spring. Maybe it's looking at Drew's mid-semester class survey that you'll consider. Whatever intrigued you this episode, I hope you'll find some enrichment for you to take it further. I hope you'll join us for our next episode, further into the year, closer to the spring equinox, and further into the web of our community. And I hope you get a break.